All right, good morning, everybody. This morning we'll be in Hebrews chapter 3, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Hebrews 3. The writer of Hebrews calls these folks holy brethren, so good morning, holy brethren. Kind of a weird thing to say, because we don't usually talk that way, but that is truly how we should see ourselves, because that's how Christ sees us, as holy brethren. Chapter 3 carries the thought, continues the thought, that the writer's trying to give to the nation of Israel, the Hebrews, that they've been completed in this new Savior who's been born of a virgin and uh, suffered and rose again, Jesus Christ. And he wants them to understand that and to not fall back into old ways, to not leave that belief that Christ is sufficient to go back to the old ways. Something's coming up in a few years from now in Hebrews. This is written almost 40 years after Jesus and after his death. And if anybody knows their history of his study, we know that Antiochus is on his way. He's the one. He's the great destroyer. He's going to destroy the temple. There won't be anything to go back to. Um, and so this writer puts this in at the right time to let them know, folks, I hope you're reading. Because... Based on what I've told you in chapters 1 and 2 of Hebrews, you're complete in Him, and He has accomplished everything for you, and you're safe in Him, and you, you can't be more assured of salvation than being in Christ. And so that's how he starts chapter 3. Therefore, because of those beliefs of chapters 1 and 2, holy brethren. We don't consider ourselves holy. I don't anyway, but we should. I should see myself that way because that's how God sees me. See, because if Christ is holy and he's the perfect high priest who ever lives to make intercession for me and is not against me and I'm hidden in him, as we've learned so far, then that means I'm as holy as he is. He's imputed that to me. I haven't earned it, but I've been given it. And so Paul is able to say to this group of people that are leaving Christ and going back to the, going back to the temple, calling them holy brethren, we can obviously rule out the fact that they've earned it. Because they're in the middle of doing something they shouldn't be doing. They're in the middle of sin. He's correcting them. This is an, ex an exhortive letter. That's the right way to put that. He's exhorting them in this letter to tell them to get back to where they were. Or don't fall away if you're even thinking about it because you're holy brethren. You can't improve upon holiness. Either are you aren't. You can't be kind of holy. It's like kind of pregnant. <laughs> Either are you aren't. And so he calls them that. And that's to encourage them. It's not meant to be a slam. It's meant to say, look, you're holy. Because that's what they would strive for their whole lives. That's what they strive for under the law. I want to be holy. I want to be righteous. I want to look like God. I want to I want, I want, I want. And what they couldn't do, they could never attain it, always feeling defeated every time they sinned. Anybody identify with that? As Paul looks at them and says, holy brethren, giving them the title they've strived for their whole life because Christ is holy. Therefore, holy brethren, and I can say that to you this morning if you've trusted in Christ as your Savior, holy brethren. Partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. We don't usually call Jesus an apostle. That's a funny term. I follow the apostle Christ. It almost feels like you're you know, diminishing him. 
Apostle John is fine. Apostle Paul, even Barnabas, if you want to throw him in there. You can call a lot of people apostle, but Jesus isn't probably the first one you'd put on your list. And yet, apostle just means sent one. That's what it means. And so it's very important that Paul or the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is an apostle. He was a sent one. That should encourage us. It wasn't us asking God for a way. God, could you figure out a way to get us out of this mess? I, I know you've forgotten us and you've, you've thrown us under the bus, but if we could plead with you one last time, would you come up with a solution for this? Could you send somebody? Sure, I guess I could send Jesus. It was always the Father's idea. The Father sent the Son when we weren't even asking for a Savior. And that's to encourage us also. Not only are we holy brethren, Jesus is also the sent one. He's been sent. That means the Father's for us, just like Jesus is. And he's our high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Christ not being his first name, but his mission or title, Savior. And that is our confession of our faith. Jesus is our Savior. That's it. There's a whole lot involved in the confessing, confessing of your faith. You, your faith is in Jesus, my Savior. That's, that's it. We make it a little more flowery and maybe more wordy. Like it should be a few more sentences to really, really mean what we say or to convey what we mean. But that's all it is. And it's enough. To be that, to have that Savior, Jesus, and confess that simply means to agree with what's been said about him. See, confession we use a lot of different ways. Sometimes we use the word confession as um, divulging or uh, uh, disclosing. I've been learning some things about real estate now. I'll tell you later why. Man, you've got to have a lot of disclosure. But it's not confession, though. Confession is simply believing what's already been said. So when my adversary says something about me, that I'm a sinner, that I'm wicked and all that, and I have lots of adversaries, Satan being the primary one, I agree with my adversary quickly. You're right, I am. I confess that. I agree with you. That's what it means to confess your sin. When you confess your sin to God, you simply hear what he said to you about that. God says, this is sin. I agree. I'm, a, I'm guilty. I've made my confession. That's what they'd say. Could you write your confession down for us? And as soon as that suspect writes the confession, he's no longer a suspect. He's guilty. And that's held up in a, a court of law. That's what confession means. So when we're asked and told, asked to confess Christ and actually done it, that's all that means. Whatever God has said about Jesus Christ, I confess that is true. I agree with it. And so he says that. He's our sent one. He's our high priest of our confession. He's the Savior that we've been waiting for, who was faithful to him, who appointed him. Jesus was faithful to the Father. As Moses also was faithful in all his house. House is a word we need to get defined here before we go any further. It's not structure. House is what we use for structure. I live in a house. This is like um, the house. Sorry, I'm going to use you again. You're in the front row. It's a problem. The household of strays. You know, it's the house of strayed kind of thing. Um, and everybody, it's a person in that dwelling is strayed. Okay, so they're the house of strayed. That's the idea behind this. Moses was faithful in all his house, all his that he was in charge of, the, the nation of Israel. Moses was the leader of that house of Israel. It's the people, not the place. It has nothing to do with that. And just like Jesus, or just like Moses was faithful with Israel, Jesus was faithful to the one 
For this one, Jesus, has made counted worthy of, uh, has, ma- has been made, has, sorry. <laughs> For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. Jesus being the one who called Moses to serve the people of his house, it's his house. He's the patriarch, so to speak. He's the starter. And they join in. That's their portion. That's our part. And and he's going to include us in this. But for now, he's letting us know, Moses is great. And I'm not diminishing Moses, and we don't need to diminish Moses. But Jesus is better. Moses is who he is, and he's as great as he ever has been. But Jesus is higher than that. We don't have to diminish each other to make ourselves be higher. Like we run into that habit. Some of us are kind of plateaued, and this is as good as I'm ever going to get. So if I want to be higher than everybody else, I have to bring them down. We don't need to do that. I can be a perfect person and feed everybody, (laughs) clothe everybody, take care of everybody in the entire world. Somehow I got a system that does that, and I'm still lower than Jesus. doesn't diminish anything that I've done. It just, I haven't even come close to him. And that's all he's saying. Moses is great. I'm not bringing him down. I'm just saying he's just Moses. Jesus is just that much higher than he is. And so he's great because he's the one that built the house, the house that Moses was in charge of. He was simply a servant. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. There it is again, Jesus is God, since he's the maker of that house. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken of afterward, but Christ as a son over his own house. And here's the cool part. This is a more encouragement. Whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. You can tell where he's headed with this chapter. You need to stay firm to the end. But you're in his house. We're there. Jesus is in charge. He's the patriarch. He's the one that's his house. He's the one that's gathering the church together. And you've been and I have been adopted into his family. We're there in the house. But it's not locked. It's not sealed. I don't, I don't mind being in confined spaces until I'm not in control of getting out of them. I don't like that. I think I crawled under J.C.'s house one time out at uh, Mazingo. Went clear back. And it was fine when you started. You had this much room, but I'm thicker than I thought. And it kind of tapers as you get closer and closer. Clear over to that side of the house because you couldn't get in from that side to get to some plumbing thing or something. I don't know what I was doing. And you inch, and you can feel it getting squeezed between the joists and the dirt. I'm okay. Lots of room here. And I get it, and I get it done, and I back up, and I snag. Oh, I about lifted that house off its foundation. Oh, man. I felt like I could have. I was fine until I got stuck. After one ripped shirt, I was out of there. What happened, Dad? I'm fine. How's that plumbing? Don't talk about it anymore. I didn't want to even talk about it. Did that work? God doesn't lock the door when we're in. I think we wish he would. But he doesn't. And that's why the writer says, Rejoice in the hope, firm to the end. Please don't go back on it. Please don't fall away from it. Please don't fall into unbelief, which is where he's headed here in this conversation. Moses was a servant, but that's all he was. You are a, you're with the son. You're a part of the house. 
You're part of the family now. It's different. See, Moses brought the law, and it was a, and I know I say this all the time, but it was a legal contract. It was a, it was a, here's the bare minimum to get into heaven. And they would look for the bare minimum on getting into heaven. And that was their standard. And as long as I kept the minimum, I mean, we do that. We do that even when we're driving. The speed limit's, uh, I don't know, let's pick one, 70 miles an hour. We go 74 because, you know, at 75, we'll probably get pulled over. So we stay at 74. We do the bare minimum to be legal. Actually, the bare minimum would be 70, but we won't. We know that there are some, there's some grace there. Those guys don't pull people over at three miles an hour over. Maybe you've had that happen, but our temperament as people is to just, I just want to stay right below the bar. I want to go right to the edge kind of thing. And we do that with the law. Did God really say? Is it really that bad? And then everything changed when Christ came from being a servant to the household under the law to being a son is completely different. And now we no longer have to find out what the bare minimum is to stay in God's good graces. We're now a relative of his. And we want to be as close to him as possible. That's his hope. That's his desire. I don't want to have to lock the doors. I want you to want to be here willingly. I want you to come running to the dinner table when it's time. I want you to spend as much time. Hey, we're, we're going to go out for whatever. Come with me. Yes, I want to be as close to you as possible, Father. I want to be as close to you as possible, Jesus, because you're the object of my affection. I love you because you loved me. Now it's no longer, what's the bare minimum to be your son? I mean, how many hours a day do I have to be here? Nothing like that. And so things have changed, and he's trying to show them that. Remember how hard it was? You had to go to synagogue. You had to deal with the priest. You had to exchange your money. You had to find the right land. Remember all that problems with it? And you wanted to give the bare minimum? What was the absolute most I have to give? Tithe, 10%. Is that on the gross or is that on the net? You know, let me do the math. Let me get my calculator out, my abacus. I don't know what they used back then. That's China, isn't it? Sorry. Mixing things up. But that's the idea. He says things are so much better now. Now you're part of the family. Now you, well, I don't need any of your money. Never have needed your money. No, I'm the father. I'm the one that provides for you. I remember how hard it is to ever, ever any, any kid here try to buy for their dad? Going out to eat? Dad, let me get it this time. That's just not going to happen. It just never happens. Dad, let me get this. Well, I've never been able to. My dad's like, yeah, sure. And he'll, halfway through the dinner, he's already slipped the lady the card by the time it gets back and I'm ready to pay. She's like, he's already covered it. That's the way it is. And I give him the look and he just smiles at me like, this is never going to happen. I don't know why you keep trying. But that's our father in heaven. What can you give me? I just want you to be my son, my daughter. It's beautiful. And so he's trying to encourage him that, stay, 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 stay. How could you possibly want to go back to that old? And so he quotes a Psalm, 50, 50, or 95 actually. Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11. David is the writer of this Psalm. David, the second king of Israel, writes this after Joshua conquers the land, after they settle the land. The land is supposed to be the land of promise, the land of rest. Remember, I'm going to take you into this land of rest. David writes this way after for a reason. He says this, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion. In the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me and tried me and saw my works 40 years, there's that number, 
Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And David's writing that after they should have already entered it, which means there's still a rest to come. There's still a promise of absolutely rest. And the writer here is trying to say, you guys sound today an awful lot like they did back then. Remember the last time God tried to bring you into this beautiful land of milk and honey, a place of rest, and you wouldn't go? And now Jesus is calm and he's trying to bring you to this land of rest and you don't have to work anymore and strive and struggle and fight on your own. You sound just like them. He's trying to show them, no, 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 don't make the same mistake our fathers made in the wilderness. Steer clear of that. Watch out for that. See it. I like the word today. The word today isn't yesterday and it's not tomorrow. It's today, today. It's what he's worried about. I get caught up in how unfaithful I was yesterday. I still do. And I go through the scenario in my mind, how I do it differently now. Knowing now what I would do back then would be different. And I try to play it out, and I try to make myself faithful in my mind. And it's gone. There's nothing I can do about it. That, that water is under the bridge. There's nothing I can do. I can't bring that back. And God knows that, nor does he expect us to. There's nothing you can do about the past, but you can do it today. Would you believe me today? Today will you hear my voice. Today will you not harden my, your heart. Today will you believe me and trust me. Today I will. He's never asked me to fix yesterday. I can't. And I can't even figure out what tomorrow's going to bring, but today I can. Today has enough cares of its own. Today is the only day I need to worry about. And that's why he says, today, immediately, don't wait. Would you trust me today? Would you believe me today? God is the comforter. We know that. I think it's one of the smaller things that we call him. He's our, he's our Jehovah Jireh. We have all these wonderful names, but the comforter is what he is. And that's the most important mission that he has for us is to be our comforter. We need a lot of comforting about our salvation, about our eternity, about our sicknesses, our deaths in families, uh, our own sin. We need a lot of comfort from God. But you can't get comfort unless you believe in the comforter. That's why he's so adamant about it. I can't even begin to help you until you believe that I exist. You can't come to me. I can't come to you. I can't help a sinner who doesn't repent. I can't help someone who is, doesn't know where they stand. I can't help someone. I can't bring them comfort. Because I'm the one they've rejected, and I have the comfort. I'm the same way. I have no comfort to give people that aren't believers. I don't have anything to offer you. If you're an unbeliever here this morning, I, I'd like to comfort you, but I can't. You're in trouble. You don't believe in the one who can save you. You don't believe. Uh, I don't have anything good to say. There's no good vibes to send your way. I was looking for sympathy cards recently. Boy, they're dumb. Just sending you good vibes today. I want to put one of those little vibrating things in one of those things and they open it up. I mean, what does that look like? I'm giving you vibes. I don't believe in the supernatural, but somehow I'm going to produce vibrations to send you or good thoughts. What's that? I'm sending you good thoughts today. Look. Call it what it is. I'm not one to say, well, you know what they mean is they mean that they're thinking of you and they want them to know that you're thinking of them. And that's not what it says. 
hey, I'm thinking of you today. And if you need anything, give me a call. I can understand those kind of thoughts. I'm sending you good thoughts. It doesn't make sense. Did you get anything? You know, no, it's, we're not telepathic. But what we can give them is Jesus Christ. We can give them comfort. We can send them the comfort. We can give them scripture. We can give them God's word, which you can bank on and rest on. I just don't know where my loved one is. I can tell you exactly where they are. God tells me where they are. How do you know? It says so here. How do you know that's true? Because he's prophesied in the past and fulfilled all the prophecies, and he says that this is going to happen in the future. So what makes us think he did these things but isn't going to do these things? He's the author of these miraculous works. He's going to be the author of these miraculous works. I'm the only one that has that. You're the only one that has that. Today, will you hear my voice, God says, because I want to comfort you, but I can't comfort you, and yes, you believe on me. So don't harden your hearts, as in the day of rebellion. That day of rebellion is an interesting thing. I, we should probably read it. I'm going to turn there. It's, uh, well, it's, I'll read it to you. It's chapter 13. Um, I think it's Numbers. The book we didn't do next, that we were supposed to do next, but I didn't, and jump to Hebrews. They come up to the Jordan River. It's time to go across the promised land. Million plus people. Moses is in the lead. Before they go over, they get the idea from God, his command, send over spies. So they send over spies. Okay? One from each tribe. Caleb and Hoshea, whose name gets changed to Joshua, so those are the two guys we love, and ten other guys, which we're not even going to name because they're worthless from the other tribes. And they all go over into this promised land to spy it out per God's command. And they come back with a report. And Joshua and Caleb are like, we're ready, let's go. And the other ten are like, hold on a minute. These guys are giant. It's exactly what God says. Milk and honey, and it's an amazing place. It's wonderful. I mean, it would be great to have. But the people there are gigantic. There's absolutely no way we can defeat them. And the people heard this, and they decided not to go in. And it, it, God was like, you, well, you didn't say this. But you've got to be kidding me. I wiped out the entire Egyptian army. I, I got you released as slaves. You walked out of there without a fight through 10 plagues. And then I opened up the Red Sea so you could walk across on dry land. And now I've fed you in the wilderness with manna that just shows up on the ground miraculously. Every, I mean, he, he, he goes through the list. And you don't think I can do this over here. You could do that, but you can't do that. Why? And so they don't go. That's the day of rebellion. What they're saying is, I know you did that in the past, but I think you're a liar about the future. Well, see, we never say that. God, I would never call God a liar. Well, when I have unbelief in my heart, I'm calling him a liar. You say this, but I don't believe you. I'd like to believe you. I'd like to believe you, but what? Well, I'd like to believe you, but my track record isn't good enough for you? My past experience with me doesn't prove my point? i just like to believe you, but I'm just having a hard time believing you, God. You're a liar. You say you're going to do it, but I don't think you're going to. That's what we're saying. And the writer here is saying, oh, my goodness, don't you understand how dangerous that is? I was amazed at the Michael Phelps thing. Michael Phelps and the shark, they're going to race. There were actually people that thought he was going to get into a shark tank. They saw the advertisement, Michael Phelps is getting into a shark tank, going to swim with him. No, he's not. Nobody's that dumb. Nobody can beat a shark. Nobody can race a shark. They're, that's, they're built for swimming. He's, he's got big feet, what, size 14 or something like that, feet, 16. 
pretty big flippers, but there's no way he's beating a shark, nor would they ever put him in danger to do that. They were disappointed when it was over. He didn't really race a shark. You thought he was going to? I can't believe people's mindset sometimes, but here's the idea. They put him in to race, and they did their thing, and it was a stunt, and that's fine. I don't know what they expected it to be. But he was completely safe and secure the whole time. There's no way they were going to risk Michael Phelps in with a shark. Oh, didn't see that happen. Oh, wow. Turn the TVs off. Likewise, when God takes Israel into the promised land, they evaluated their strength with the strength of the people in there and thought, there's no way I'm going to win. Of course you can't. They are giants. They're huge. There's no way you're going to beat these people. But that's not the comparison. The comparison is them versus me, God says. I'm going to keep you completely safe. I can honestly say to you, I go to the Henry Dorley Zoo and I walk among sharks. You all know what I mean if you've been there. I went through the tunnel. I mean, to the point where you can almost feel them through that big plexiglass thing that goes over. It's a little creepy, but it's cool. And you can almost touch these sharks. But I'm in no danger at all. And yet I'm in the tank. See, that's how God works with us. I want you to do this great and awesome thing. Go into the promised land and conquer it. We can't. I know. I'm going to. Just like walking through a tunnel. You're going to be in the shark tank, but you're in no danger at all. Would you just believe me and trust me? God asks us to do great and awesome things. Think about Peter. Come out onto the water with me, you know? Well, it's actually Peter's idea. Can I come out there? Jesus says, well, yeah, come. And he does great, and he's walking on the water until he sees physically, and it affects him spiritually. He was fine. He was doing something physically impossible as his eyes were on Christ, but when he got his eyes off of Christ and physically looked at the circumstances and began to evaluate his inability to be on this water, that's when he sunk. And that's what the writer's trying to get across here. It has never been a comparison between you and the adversary. It's always been a comparison between the adversary and God. And God wins. So he says in verse 12, Beware, I've given you a warning. Brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. It's not okay to not believe. It's not. It's an evil. To not believe in God is evil. It's because you're calling him a liar. He's not talking about doubts. He's not talking about the inability to understand. Those things are valid. What he's talking about is an unwillingness to trust. I refuse to trust you. I'm not putting my life in your hands with full understanding that he can. It's an opposition to faith. See, they had come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. They had confessed him as their Savior, and they were moving back away from that, opposed to the faith they once had. They were unwilling to further trust God. They did in the past, but now they're not. They're moving away. And the writer says, beware, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, which means they were with him. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. It is sin. It's deceitful. You get hardened from it. If you stop believing in God, you're going to believe in something else. You, we're never without belief. You always believe in something. You always have faith in something. Everybody does. You have faith in yourself. You have belief in yourself. You have, a, you have a hope in some mystic thing you haven't come across yet, but you still have faith and hope in whatever that may be. And once you remove yourself from the, the way, the truth, and the life that no man comes to the Father but through Jesus, 
You remove yourself from the truth, you're going to believe the lie. Whether you like it or not, that's the way it is. That's the default. It's the deceitful, and you get hardened from it. So we're supposed to exhort one another daily. You ever been exhorted? I don't like being exhorted. I like being encouraged. I like you to tell me how great I am. I don't like to be exhorted. It hurts my pride. It doesn't have to come across that way, though, I guess. Exhortations can come across as, you know, (laughs) when they have that high-pitched voice, I know what's coming next. You know, I saw you doing this the other day. No, he's just saying, when you come together, and you should come together daily, whether that's a brother and sister in the Lord over there, or a church gathering here or there, or a Wednesday night Bible study, wherever, exhort one another. Build each other up, encourage each other to continue on in the faith. No, we're not crazy. (laughs) No, it's true. Don't you remember? The things of this world got pretty heavy today. I I got a little distracted today. I I got to looking at the waves and the wind today, and I feel like I'm sinking, and we're there to exhort one another, saying, get our eyes back on Jesus. You're just distracted right now. He says, for we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion. We've been partakers of that. That's an amazing thought. You think about, when he talked about earlier about how Moses had, more, had less glory than Jesus, Jesus was counted worthy of more glory. Think about Jesus' baptism and when God stepped through and decided to speak at his baptism. That's never happened to me, you know. Or his transfiguration when he was up on the mountain and he got transfigured right before the apostles, the disciples at the time. Whoa, Peter says, let's build some tents. I want to stay here. I don't want to go back down. I don't want to leave this. Think about his resurrection and his glorified state as he's showing up and disappearing and, you know, eating and and hanging out with the guys. He's still got the scars and yet, you know, a lot more glory. We're partakers of that. We're with him. That's what it means to partake. It's not a word we usually don't, you know, we want to come over to dinner and partake with us. What's that mean? I'll eat with you. That's all it means. You're hanging out together. You're becoming one. When they would eat, remember how they would eat, dipping all in the same bowl, double dipping at times. You know, it's just that's how it was. And you all became one with one another. By the time you're done, everybody'd shared everything. You know, whatever you had, I have. And that's the idea. The writer here says we become partakers of Savior, of Christ. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end, while it is said, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion. Stay with him, stay with him, stay with him. Don't lose heart. The whole chapter is designed to give us confidence and to exhort us to stay with him and stay close to him. A lot of things going on in the world right now. A lot of things. Ah, same as it's been forever. Well, maybe, maybe. Seems a little worse to me. In my short 47 years on this earth, it's quite a change. And it's going to continue that. It's going to continue to change. But my rock doesn't change. My base doesn't change. My destination doesn't change. My hope doesn't change. My eternity doesn't change. This place changes all the time. My health goes up. My health goes down. That changes but I don't rest upon that. I don't trust in that. My Savior never changes. He's trying to encourage him that because you know what? Antiochus Epiphanes is coming. He's going to destroy that temple. He's going to scatter the Jews all over the world. It's going to get ugly. 
but nothing's changed. You thought Paul was bad. When this guy shows up, whoa. But nothing's changed. So make sure you're holding on to what you're supposed to be holding on to, the thing that doesn't change. In verse 16, For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? That's a tough pill to swallow for these folks as they go through their history. They love to talk about their history. Oh, remember Elijah, remember Elisha, remember Moses, remember Abraham. But they don't remember all of it, you know? They don't remember that sentence right there. Remember Moses? Yes, he led us out. We celebrate the Passover all the time. Do you remember what happened after the Passover? Yeah, we got stuck in the wilderness for 40 years because we didn't believe him. Right, right. So you started well, but you didn't finish well, or they didn't finish well. You get the picture. Now, with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? In other words, everybody died except for the two. Only two got to go into the promised land. We have a whole million plus people coming out of Egypt. Only two actually get into the promised land, and I've already named them. Joshua and Caleb, that's right. The only two of the spies that said, we can do this. This is great. God's got us. I'm ready to jump right in the fight. All these guys were. I love all those guys. I love David. Just threw that little, he, as a little kid, he just jumps in the middle of the fight. I don't know what's going to happen. Because I'm going to get killed here in a minute. God better do something or I'm dead. I love that. That's how I want to be. He had no doubt what God was going to do for him. Why isn't anybody shutting that Philistine's mouth up? He said to his brothers. And they were offended by that because they were bigger than him and they'd shoved him around his whole life. We're bigger than you. you can't, we can't beat him. You can't beat him. Be quiet. All of a sudden, where's David? <laughs> he's got his slingshot and he's out in the middle of the battlefield taunting this guy, running at him. And sinks a stone right in his forehead and drops him. Then, well... Got any kids here? They're all in Sunday school, right? Then he goes over and takes the guy's sword and cuts his head off and carries it around for a while. A month, not a while. I love that. I mean, you know, just in the sense that it, I don't know. What I like about it is not the blood and the gore. Don't misunderstand me. I love the heart of David. I love that heart. I mean, every time his brothers saw him, they're probably asking him, when are you going to put that thing down? I just want to remind you what you told me I couldn't do, you know, (laughs) kind of thing. What God couldn't do with me. I guess I better be careful because David knew it. What God couldn't do with me. You thought God couldn't do this. I just want to, this is a constant reminder for one month that the nation of Israel should look at. For a month, he carried this around saying, this is what you said couldn't happen with God. I love that. I love it when I hear testimonies from you folks, from my, or people that I know about what God's done in your lives, what he's delivered you from, what he, the giants he's conquered. And I love it that you carry those heads around with you, so to speak. You're not ashamed of it. No, I was in bondage. I was stuck. I was lost. I was gone. But my God did this. And you hold up that head high. Aren't you embarrassed to carry that thing around? Not at all. This is the proof of the power of my God. Not me, you know. Love David's heart. Two guys, Joshua and Caleb, get in there. 
Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that he would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see, there's the conclusion, that they could not enter in because of unbelief. It had nothing to do with God's ability. It had nothing to do with God's past track record. It had everything to do with them just not believing God. No excuses. And so he encourages them. You've got it right. You've done the right thing by believing on Christ. It's as good as it felt. It's as real as you thought it was. It's still real. Someone's whispered in your ear somewhere along the line. Someone's whispered and said, it's not enough. You need to go back. You need to go back to the temple. What are you guys doing out there? Don't you know you joined a cult? You need to come back to the family religion. They may be pressing you. No, I am free. I, it's accomplished. I'm, it's done. I'm full of grace and mercy. And I will not give that up for anybody. I'm not going to stop believing that. You know. So be encouraged this morning. We don't have time for chapter 4. I'd love to do it next because it really does go with it. But this is enough to chew on for the week, I think, to stay here. The writer here takes them from who Jesus is to what he's done to just staying in that. It's unbelievable that we could actually walk away from such a great salvation. We've been learning that on Wednesdays. We need to stay with him and proclaim him proudly. No shame in talking about Jesus. They may shame you for talking about Jesus today, but there's no shame in talking about Jesus. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news is what set me free. I'm not ashamed of that. How could you be ashamed of something that your Savior's done? That's like being ashamed of your wife or ashamed of your husband. Oh, I don't take her out very much because she's ugly. What? Did you just say? I don't talk about Jesus because he's so offensive, you know? No, 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 no. No. He's our Savior. He's amazing. He's beautiful. He's got love that no one else can even touch. And he loves people. And we need to let him know that and tell him that. And I know you do. I'm just encouraging you. Keep it up. Keep walking with him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. The encouragement you give them, we receive it as well, God. We don't want to go back to anything other or anything less than this complete, total, perfect work of the cross of your son, Jesus Christ. And we give you all glory for what you've done for us. That you call us holy brethren, but only because you've bestowed that upon us. You've given it to us. And we thank you for that gift. What a great gift. We'd love to have, we would have loved to have strived to have earned that title of holiness. To be holy like you are, but we couldn't. We were forever failing, and yet you give it to us now. We thank you for that, God. We wear it proudly. We have the holiness of Christ imputed to us, and we love it. Lord, we know that you're ready to give that to anybody that asks. And Lord, so this morning, anybody that needs this this morning, anybody that needs to trust in you that hasn't because of unbelief, but they want to shed that unbelief and replace it with belief, Lord, would you hear their prayer now? Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you that you've set me free from my sins, that you paid the penalty for my sins. Everything I've done against you that I couldn't undo because it's in the past and the sentence of death was waiting for me. You paid that price at the cross. You died instead of me. You took my place and you gave me your righteousness. Thank you for that. Lord, I desire to be filled with your Holy Spirit. I want you to bring me into that place that the nation of Israel wasn't willing to do. 
They went through the applying the blood to the doorposts of their heart. They went through the baptism of the Red Sea, but they never crossed the Jordan, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, where they would do battle with their enemies, but not in their own strength, in your strength, and they would be more than conquerors. God, we want that this morning. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we might believe on you, and we'll forget the 10 other witnesses out there telling us the Holy Spirit's not for today or isn't a part of our walk at all. Well, we will believe like Caleb and like Joshua, receiving the Holy Spirit and having victory in our lives over the sin that ensnares us and our enemies that try to thwart our efforts and your efforts, God. So fill us with your Spirit. Give us all the gifts necessary to walk in this world around sharks, but completely safe, God. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.